You're listening to Solar Insiders, the fortnightly podcast that shines the light on the world's biggest energy source. Solar Insiders is presented by Giles Parkinson, the editor of Renew Economy, and Sophie Voroth, the editor of One Step Off the Grid. Solar Insiders is brought to you by Pylon, helping solar installers and retailers design high-resolution solar proposals in minutes. And Nextracker, delivering the most advanced solar tracking technology and the highest performing solar assets in the country. Hello and welcome to this latest episode of the Solar Insiders podcast. My name is Giles Parkinson. I'm the editor of Renew Economy and also the EV Focus the Driven. And joining me is Renew Economy Deputy Editor Sophie Voroth and um, of course, editor of One Step Off the Grid, Sophie. Hello, Giles. <laughs> How are we? Um, look, it's been one of those very strange weeks. I'm not too sure what's happened to all the news, Sophie. I think um, it's... Um, it's getting very quiet out there. I just I hope everyone, not everyone's just sort of down tools and gone on holidays. I think everyone's saving it for Friday at five o'clock um, and then they're going to just load us up. Well, I wish they wouldn't do that. But anyway, yes. um, look, in the meantime, we've got another great interview. You've got together with Andy McCarthy, the founder of Gippsland Solar and later the boss of um, RACV Solar because it got bought out by that big motoring organisation, who surprisingly announced his resignation just a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, I think that took a lot of people by surprise, but I, I think something that he had been thinking about, um, he's, you know, as so many people in that industry are very hardworking and constantly seeing on LinkedIn and, you know, inbox the things that they were doing, um, with the RACB Solar and before that Gippsland Solar was very, very busy company. And, um, yeah, I think he's just decided that he needs to spend some time with family. He's got three boys and they're going to go travelling and all of that good stuff. But he was pretty keen to sit down and have a bit of a reminisce about how his career evolved from sort of the a garage in, uh, in the Latrobe Valley to becoming this huge business that then got snapped up and, and rolled into an even bigger business. Okay, well, look, let's have a listen to the interview you did with Andy McCarthy, um, formerly of RACV Solar. Welcome, Andy McCarthy, the very, very recently retired CEO of RACV Solar. Thank you very much. You can't see the relaxed look on my face for all your listeners, but uh, <laughs> I'm feeling very, very good right now. Or the alleged pyjamas that you're yeah. wearing. <laughs> I, to be honest, I was actually reading the financial review in my jocks on my first morning of retirement, so and I had no shame. Oh, that sounds like the life. Yeah. Um, now, let me see if I've got this right. Um, you started Gippsland Solar from your garage 13 years ago. Is that correct? Yeah, we did. Um, I'd been in the industry since uh, 2001, um, so since I was 19 years old and uh, spent 10 years working for various solar companies and um, moved from Melbourne to the Latrobe Valley in 2010 to raise a family with my beautiful wife, Kelly. And uh, um, unsurprisingly, in 2010, there wasn't many renewable energy businesses in the Latrobe Valley because everyone hated renewables um, and everything they stood for. So uh, I moved down for lifestyle and pretty quickly realized I couldn't find a job. And then um, Kel, who was seven months pregnant and we were flat broke at the time, uh, she had the, um, the common sense to say, well, if there's no uh, jobs, then there's no competition. So maybe we should start our own business. Um, uh-huh. So I, uh, yeah, I, I spent 50 bucks on a logo from a, a website online and I bought one of those yellow 
uh, invoice books, the orange invoice book, sorry, from the uh, news agent with the zero one to 49 <laughs> with the carbon yep. copy. Um, and that was the first invoice book. And I didn't know how we were going to write 50 invoices, but we took a punt and it worked yeah. out. An excellent punt as it turns out. Yeah. Um, 13 years later, you, you wound up sort of um, running the biggest show in, in Victoria, really, in, in the industry that you're in. Um, so we'll start with a, you know, fairly small question for you to start with. Uh, you know, in that 13 years you've been in this industry, how do you see that it's changed, particularly from your vantage point in the coal heartland of Victoria? How have things changed, you know, I guess, fundamentally for the solar industry since you started out? Well, big question. There's a lot to that. Um, I think back to the last 13 years of running this business, but I also think back, you know, the 10 years before that when I was working for other companies. And uh, I mean, in 2001, going back a step when I first uh, discovered a love for, you know, the idea of powering anything anywhere from the sun, you wouldn't have done it to make a living uh, or for economic reasons because there was no market for it. I mean, my my first solar panel, which I think I bought off Nigel Morris, an old friend, um, was an 80 watt BP solar panel uh, to power an electric fence. Uh, and that was pretty much the market for solar, the occasional water pump or maybe a caravan or a, eventually a loft grid home up in the hills. Um, but yeah, and that was pretty much it. I remember the first punt was telling my boss at the time that I needed to go and buy 20 80 watt solar panels and they were $800 each wholesale at that stage. Oh so my God. I tied up a little bit of capital and he said, do you reckon you can sell them? I said, I'm pretty confident. <laughs> um, and and so from there, it's just been quite incredible, this journey that we've, we've been on. And, uh, you know, if I fast forward to the time, the 13 years that we've been running this business, uh, Gippsland Solar, which became RECV Solar, um, I've actually been capturing some reflections, just um, writing them down for, for posterity uh, this yeah. week. So it's maybe a bit reflective. Um, and the big thing for me is back in 2010, when I started this business, uh, it was pretty competitive in the in the metro market in Melbourne for us. Yeah. But the golden rule in regional Victoria was you did not go into someone else's area. You just didn't do it. You didn't quote a uh -huh. job. Yeah. So, you know, Gippsland was Jeff's area and King Lake was Warwick's area and Seymour belonged to Brian, uh, <laughs> some old doyens of the solar industry. And, um, you know, it was the ACCC would have field day with that sort of thing these days. But, um, I mean, like any emerging industry, it was just a bit of a club and yeah. it was working really well. So nobody was prepared to derail the gravy train. <laughs> um, and so I feel like I was one of the first people to, um, to sort of take on the market and go, well, if your solution's better and you give the best option to the client, then they'll go with you. But mm. otherwise, there's, there's some competition, competition. in town. <laughs> yep. And, you know, clearly there's no holds barred these days. Nobody's going to say, I can't sell the system urban north because Andy lives there. They couldn't, they'd probably take great pride in taking a win off us yes. <laughs> in our hometown. Absolutely. Um, so, so when do you think things turned a corner at first? Like, was it when subsidies came in? Um, is it, you know, it, when do you think the penny dropped for, for households um, that this was something they should get onto? Yeah, well, uh, 2010 was um, probably the worst time. Uh, for us to be starting a solar business in the Latrobe Valley uh, for a number of reasons. Um, but one of them was that there just wasn't much, uh, there wasn't much demand. I mean, renewable energy was far more expensive, you know, from a levelized uh, cost of energy perspective. Renewable energy was still far more expensive than buying electricity from the grid, which was dirty, but uh, abundant and cheap. Mm. Uh, and people didn't care, especially not in the valley where employment was already 21%, unemployment was already 21% in Morewell. Uh, okay. So you can imagine when you're going around saying we want to put solar on the roof and I don't think there's a premium feed-in tariff even back in those days and 
it would have cost you twice as much to buy energy from the solar system as it would to buy from the grid. So I wouldn't have done yeah. it with my own money. And, uh, <laughs> you know, so, I mean, and I was actually uh, reflecting on this, uh, the business and how close it came to not even seeing the light of day because uh, we had a reasonable summer in 2010, sold a few solar hot water systems. And I still remember my first um, 1.9 kilowatt PV sale for a lady in Newborough. Um, I got on the roof and lifted the terracotta tiles myself. I've still got the scrapes on my knuckles from trying to get those tiles up. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. but, um, but that was it. And then the first winter, 2011, uh, in Gippsland with our um, temperate climate, you would call it. The sun doesn't shine very much <laughs> in winter. And uh, the phone stopped ringing and uh, a mate of mine just rang me and managed to get me a construction job on the local secondary school down here. And uh, I managed to pick up a... Yeah, work as a chippy for three months and I put the business into hiatus. I gave up for a little bit and I thought maybe yeah. maybe there's a reason why there's no renewable energy businesses in the Latrobe Valley because it's just a silly idea. Um, and we came that close to giving up. Uh, so for three months I bunkered down because I didn't have any more time or money to sink into the business, frankly. And uh, yeah. you know, come spring 2011, the phone rang again. We made a few sales and then the, uh, the premium feed-in tariff came along and all of a sudden the green shoot started to appear and then the rest is history. Fantastic. And you talk about the attitude to renewables in the valley um, not being great when you first moved there. Um, how's, has that changed? Oh, it's been incredible. It's, it's, um, it's definitely what I consider to be our greatest success. So I stress that it's ours because uh, it's the team that I've built that have taken the mantle and run with it now. Um, I'm just so proud that we're one of the largest employees in the Latrobe Valley and, and um, back in 2011 and 12, I mean, even the even the people in uh, significant um, you know, positions of influence within the council and, and organisations uh, were vehemently opposed to, to what we did. Um, right. You know, we we led with our chin. I mean, I'd come from the um, mm. you know, green belt of Melbourne where everyone was environmentalist and we did this because we were changing the world. And, um, yeah. and it was a bit of a slap in the face when I came to the Valley and my uh, belligerent attitude probably didn't help uh, in <laughs> hindsight because... I was just like, well, I don't really care what you think because the uh, the um, energy sector is transitioning and I don't care if you agree or not because we're doing it and we're getting on with it. So get on board or get out of the way. And uh, it goes without saying that was a very unhelpful attitude to take into the valley. So um, cause for reflection on my behalf to get my head out of my backside, to be frank. Um, mm. And also understanding that if you draw lines on ideology and you make it about uh, climate change or um, environmental benefits in the valley, everyone just shuts off and... They've got yep. no interest because all they hear is opportunity leaking out of the region. Um, mm -hmm. So there was, there was a real moment in time where I started realising that if I start putting up pictures on social media of a 17-year-old apprentice collecting their high-vis gear on their first day of a new career in renewable energy, I mean, everybody loves jobs. Um, and yep. so from that moment, we told some really powerful stories of people that were doing refractory work at Morwell uh, or Hazelwood Power Station, you know, like just run-of-the-mill, meaningless, meaning, meaningless jobs and we gave them an opportunity and they're, they're, they're flourishing and they have, um, yeah. have amazing careers and they haven't had to leave the valley to get those careers. Um, yeah. Firstly. And energy is that, energy. That's exactly right. They're still, they're still working <laughs> in energy. I've got um, one of my uh, young apprentices, I should say my, I don't work there anymore, but I still feel that way. Oh, yeah. I think you can say it's it for a while. At least it's hard to let go. Um, I mean, one of our uh, apprentices here, um, his dad uh, had worked at Luoyang Power Station for his whole life, and he gave Nick some work experience, and he said, I'll give you uh, a taste of the workforce to give you a head start, but if you want to be yeah. an electrician in the valley for the next 50 years, you go and get yourself into renewables. Um, so wow. fair shout to his dad for being able to park his ideology and say, this is the future for you, Nick. 
Um, yeah. He's, he's gone on to become a team leader and uh, he's very grateful for everything that the, um, that the power industry has given this region uh, over the last 60 years and beyond. But he also recognises that this is the future and this is where his, um, where his career lies. Yeah. Um, on the tools, and I don't know how long it's been since you've been off the tools, <laughs> <laughs> but on the tools, what are some of your favourite jobs, or, you know, or even the favourite jobs that you've observed your teams doing? What are some of the jobs where you think, now this is why I'm in this business? Oh, gee. Um, well, I did install my first ooh, 100 or 150 systems myself. Um, so the deal was that I would uh, load the trailer in the morning, meet the sparkies on or the plumber on side and yep. help them do the job uh, for 100 bucks. Um, TA wages. Um, and uh, that gave me very good grounding for how hard it is to quote good solar as well. Right. I was crawling through some awful roof cavities and <laughs> suffering from my own poor quoting <laughs> skills. And, and I pretty quickly learned not to make those mistakes. Um, so I think I got a lot of satisfaction out of installing those systems. And I could tell you my first 50 systems, I can tell you the wow. customer, their address, which panels. Do you still drive past them and go, yeah, oh, I remember yeah, that one I'll... in the. <laughs> There's, yeah, there's a moment of pride. I feel more pride over some of those 1.9 kilowatt systems than I do over a 100 kilowatt system that we did three years ago. Um, because every job was a matter yeah. of keeping this business open for another day. It was that it was that close to the wind. Um, but then we, as we got bigger and started to employ more people, I mean, the Campbellwell Grammar installation, Jeez. 2016, I believe it was. Yeah, and far out for oh, little old Gippsland Solar, where I think we'd done a few 100 kilowatt systems and nothing more. Uh, and all of a sudden went up against the big the big dogs in Melbourne and won an 888 kilowatt system uh, over five different roofs on a yeah. um, heritage listed building with wireless mesh networks. And and I said to my I said to Grant, uh, my GM of ops, I said, mate, we're going for this job and we're going to win it. He goes, we wouldn't know the first thing how to install it. I said, Figure it out later. First things first. <laughs> and, exactly. So we were just like the proverbial duck. We were just paddling underneath for the whole job. And at the end, the client said, you have been the most unbelievably professional team I've ever worked with on, on our, on That's our premises. Fantastic. So, um, sometimes you just got to bite off more <laughs> than you can chew and then chew like crazy. Um, and I think, um, also too, some of the other things I've been reflecting on, like, it's not the biggest jobs, it's the ones mm -hmm. that mean the most in some other way. Like, you know, talking about taking people on the journey in the Latrobe Valley and, um, I never forget that feeling when uh, we convinced the Latrobe City Council to put a 100 kilowatt right. system on their own head office, you know, in the shadows of the Hazelwood power station. And the, and then we convinced them to put out a press release saying that they were doing yep. that to lower their energy bills. Um, and the message that sent to the community was profound, I feel, and um, yeah. shifted the needle a little bit. And I mean, you, you can imagine how much the comment section blew up on social media. They got absolutely right. hammered for it. Uh, but I've had, I've had my moments with the Trobe City Council over the years. I still have them. But, um, you know, there's, there's sometimes there's that vision and that courage to go out there and do something that you know is right and take people on the journey that I think uh, it makes a long-term systemic change to the region. So it's, um, it's very satisfying to see those systems yeah, that work now to, at the headquarters. Yeah, and, you know, for them, you've got, they've got to hear it from them, don't they? The people have got to hear it from their own council. This is the way we're going and this is yeah. why. And we're the council. And Absolutely. This is what we're doing. Yep. And also the optics of that, like I remember I, maybe a dozen organisations or environmental groups have got in touch with me since we installed that system because it's on Commercial Road in Morwell, mm -hmm. which is in the heart of the valley. And, and um, the road from the, um, from the council office goes straight down oh, to the wow. Hayeswood power station. So 
Yeah, so we've been on the roof with about a dozen of these organisations, and we haven't always told the council <laughs> what it's being used for. Um, but it is there's the, there's this shot of the solar panels in the foreground with the the chimneys, the stacks of Hazelwood Power Station in the background, and I feel like it's become the iconic shot of the energy transition in the valley. And those are the things that I reflect on. I think they uh, they will make a difference for, for generations to come. And um, this is a slightly sensitive question probably but how hard is it to make money as a solar installer like um we hear a lot about these wafer thin margins and as you were saying before difficulties in quoting and then getting the job done you know and we boast a lot about how much a solar we have on our rooftops here and how cheap it is but does that make it really hard for businesses to survive well i think most people listen to this podcast can appreciate the challenges with input costs going up, compliance going up, burden of paperwork going up, uh, mm -hmm. margins coming down, and mm -hmm. the cost of money going up. So everything's moving in the wrong direction for capital constrained businesses. And um, oh, I, I loved running my own business. I can't tell you how much I enjoyed the freedom, being able to take the business in any direction I choose. But I was the happiest man in the world in December 2019, because um, once you took the cash flow burden off our shoulders and allowed us just to run this business with vision and energy and take yep. it in any direction we wanted and, and not to be constrained by cash flow um, and to some extent profitability as well. I mean, I, I feel for those businesses out there that um, are trying to grow uh, and they're increasing their cost of having the doors open every day, but they purely exist to buy product for X and sell it for Y and make sure that there's, you know, 10% EBITDA mm -hmm. left at the end of each year. Um, because, you know, as we see, as the size of projects and the size of the energy transition starts to capture yep. the big fish, uh, I mean, there's this private equity and venture cap floating into this market. And some of these organizations, I've been fortunate enough to be acquired by one, they don't purely exist to make profit every day. They have a long-term play to make a big footprint in the energy space and they can afford to throw money at it. So, you know, I think the smaller guys that swim between the toes of the big incumbents and the big um, capitally, you know, capitally comfortable firms yep. will be okay. Um, but I do worry about those businesses in between that have a high yep. cost of overhead, um, but, but not necessarily right. an economy of scale. And talking about this, you know, these businesses like companies like RACV, who, as you say, are trying to set up a sort of vertically integrated energy play. What's your hope for the future of the industry? What are you going to, when you look back again, <laughs> say in 10 years time, how do you hope that it's taking shape in a way that's going to be the best for, for businesses, the best for consumers um, and the best for our sort of, you know, decarbonisation? Mm. It's a, yeah, it's a good question because there's a number of strands to it. I mean, I, I would love to see the, the, the smaller operations and all the businesses, the people I consider to be friends, I would love to see them go on in perpetuity and yep. be successful. Um, but I worry about that some of those sectors in the market that's going to be increasingly mm. hard to compete. I mean, we could have sold our business to anybody um, at that stage. We had a, you know, a number of people knock on the door over a few years. Uh, ultimately, we told most of them to, to bugger off. But um, what appealed to me with RACV is that, yes, they have the balance sheet and they have the availability of cash flow and all those things that make growing yeah. a business really easy. Um, but they also have the sense of purpose mm. and the values. Uh, you know, the first thing Neil Taylor did, the CEO of RACV, he's got 2,900 employees. When our business was acquired, and I asked him for an ironclad commitment that Gibson would be looked after as part of this acquisition. I was really passionate about it. And he promised me and my business coach said, they're always going to say that, Andy, to yeah. get the ring on the finger. And then as soon as you sign the paperwork, things can change. Um, well, two weeks after the acquisition, 
the um, Black Summer bushfires rolled through Gippsland and my staff and my family and friends were like massively yeah. impacted. Um, it's mm. heartbreaking and still is. Uh, Neil got on the phone on New Year's Eve, I think it was the day after the bushfires had broken out and he goes, Andy, is everyone all right? I said, we're good. Thanks for checking. And he said, oh, what wow. can we do? What can That's we do to great. help? He said, I'm good. I'm good. He said, I'm good for this. And now, you know, two weeks, we didn't expect bushfires two weeks after that we signed the paperwork. But, gee, if you want it, you couldn't find a more powerful example of how RECV was good for their word. And within 48 hours, they'd given us a couple of flatbed trucks. Um, We were carting up uh, fencing equipment, hay, um, cordless drills, bits and pieces to help with the recovery. Um, We'd organised with Oznet to store 50 generators and help customers come and take them and sign a little lease form and take them for nothing. Uh, and then we developed the program called Solar in the Regions, which donated a million dollars worth of solar and battery storage to these bushfire-prone towns, so that they would have, yeah, so they'd have energy resilience in bushfire or mm. emergencies. And um, so, my long-winded way of answering that question is: I hope that organisations like RECV are the ones that succeed because they have the balance sheet and they have the ability to scale and make a big yep. impact, but they also have the values. Um, and although I'm no longer the CEO of RE, so they're left on the best possible terms. And I, I plan to return and do some work with them in, in the consulting capacity later. Right. But hand on heart, I just want to see organisations with a conscience um, really picking up this this market and really owning it and also making sure that the traditional players, some of these people that I you know have a beer with at every conference, I hope they have a material role to play in this industry because we can't afford to lose no, them. No, absolutely not, especially when we're, we're moving into sort of you know, the electrification of everything, that's a whole other piece that these companies can bring. And I think you're right. I think community is going to be really important for these things because this is about, you know, decentralisation, you know, bringing it all in, you know, generating on the spot, um, storing it, making the most of your energy. Yeah, absolutely. And and there will be a lot of other players in this space that, you know, we see flooding into the market that their values definitely wouldn't have aligned with my own, yeah. you know, perhaps five years ago. Sometimes I think we have to take a deep breath and be pragmatic about and realise that if some of these organisations, you know, if they want to clean up their act, whether they're being forced to by shareholders, or whether they deeply believe it within their soul, mm-hmm. um, if that's going to cause some of these organisations to think about their impact on the planet and deploy their capital into ways that align with our values, more power to them. It's fantastic. Yeah. Um, so I hope that pressure starts to make everyone a little bit more focused on the planet we're leaving for our children because we, we can lose sight of that very quickly. Yes, speaking of children, you have three of them and you're about to spend a whole lot of time with them. Tell us a little bit, just as a final final bit, uh, tell us a little bit about your plans now, just in the, you're heading off, I hear. Yeah, well, I actually got leave without pay back in November, so I've been planning this trip for a while. Um, uh, but now it's a, it's a one-way trip and um, so we're planning on spending at least four and a half months travelling around Europe and the Middle East as oh, a family. Fantastic. Um, yeah, I'm going to go to Intersolar for a little bit. You've got to write off part of the yes. trip as well, of course. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yes. Um, haven't lost the business edge completely. No. Um, but ultimately though, it's just about, um, you know, I love this business and I love my team and I'm so proud of what we've done. I feel very satisfied. Um, but I'm reflecting on the fact that your family does suffer mm. uh, for your mission and, and I'm sure everyone listening to this podcast can relate it's it's hard sometimes to get the balance right and I've made a lot of mistakes over the years I've, I'm very comfortable with my how I've performed as a dad but there's always more I'd like to have done yeah uh, my boys are 13 11 and 8 and it's just such a good time to really um, reward them for the sacrifices we've made for this business and to really invest in them for six months take a yes. sabbatical and start indoctrinating um, them into the into the business <laughs> yeah, ex- yeah exactly and 
I think also too, my team was a bit surprised because I'm so driven and I just want to change the world all the time. So to drop everything at you know top of the bell curve and just go, that's it, I'm out. I don't have another job to go to. I just need to prioritize my family for a while. Mm. I hope that some of my team and I hope some of the people listening will realize that, you know, if you're feeling an inkling, sometimes you just need to really think about what's important and don't get stuck on the hamster wheel for the sake of it. Because one day my kids are going to be in their 20s, moved out of home, living overseas, and they don't want to know me. Um, I want to take make the most of this time and make sure that I try and be a well-rounded person, which includes my role as a husband and father. That sounds very, very intelligent and excellent. <laughs> I, they might, uh, I might learn to regret it when we're arguing and rolling on the floor, wrestling with each other. I'll be like, I quit my job for you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there will be those moments, trust yeah, me. But uh, I, I think it's fantastic and I think absolutely we could all do with um, taking more time in those parts of our lives for sure. Well, thank you so much for taking some time out of your first week off to talk to us and I just want to say on behalf of of Renew Economy and One Step Off the Grid um, what an amazing job you've done what a fantastic legacy and an incredible spokesperson for the industry that I've often turned to so yeah all the best to you Andy and uh, we hope to speak to you lots and see you in the industry in the future. I appreciate that and and the other thing I just like to say in closing is that you know, I appreciate your kind words, but I've been very fortunate to have so many amazing mentors along the way. And by mentioning some of them, I'll do others a disservice, so I won't go through them all, but I'm really keen to pay that forward. So, you know, I've been fortunate at my stage in my career to have mentors and protégés, and I take a lot of pride in what they've achieved. So I really like when someone reaches out on LinkedIn and says to me, hey, I've admired your journey. I'd love to pick your brains on something I've been thinking about. I mean, just hit me up. If I don't reply, then, you know, maybe I've got something else on. But but ultimately, um, you know, a lot of my career success has been just from opening doors all the time and creating opportunities. So uh, I want to try and pay that forward and create the next generation of renewable energy heroes. Brilliant. And uh, maybe you can start a travel blog as well and we can all look. <laughs> Another good way I could claim the trip. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, um, safe and wonderful travels and all the best. Thank you. Appreciate the chance to chat. Thanks, Andy. Bye. Bye. And that was um, Andy McCarthy, um, the founder of Gippsland Solar, um, former head of RACV Solar, and just about to embark on a European trip with his family. We, we wish him all the best. Um, some pretty in- interesting insights there, Sophie. I mean, it's um, you know, as, as, as he said, he started the business in, in the in the Coal Valley, the Trove Valley. Um, not everyone was very happy with what he was up to, but um, some pretty fascinating insights into. I mean, you know, Andy was at the core or has been at the core of the energy transition in, in so many different ways. Yes, and it's interesting. What I found interesting was how he said when he first sort of started, he didn't go in with the most helpful attitude and he was sort of like, well, you know, stuff you all, I'm going to do this. This is what's happening. This is where we're headed. Come with me or don't come with me. But he said that, you know, he pretty quickly worked out that's not the right way to go about it and, you know, started changing his tune and, and realising that he needed to to sell the story as an opportunity um, for people in the valley and, and just another another form of energy generation that, that you know, could become a point of pride in that area. And um, that was, I found that really interesting, you know, and just hearing how quickly it's gone from, you know, installing 1.5 kilowatt systems to gosh, nearly a gigawatt at a school, you know, when he was still at Gippsland Solar, that job. So amazing. 
it is it is amazing and we 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 sometimes forget just how quick this transition has been you know it was just a decade ago that as you say we're installing one and a half or two kilowatt systems or maybe three kilowatt systems and now that just all seems so tiny and um and businesses have grown with it although as he points out it's um it's a fairly low margin business it's not easy to make money no and he sort of said that for companies like the big companies are going to be fine and he and probably a lot of the really small ones that are really well known in their neighbourhoods and cater to a smaller, you know, have smaller numbers and more easily controlled businesses. But he worries about the mid-tier businesses and how hard it'll be for them. But, uh, yeah, it's something that that, that I think everyone um, in the industry has struggled with. And we talk a lot about how cheap solar is in Australia, but that doesn't make it easy for everyone to make money. Well, no, and um, look, the margins are pretty hard for um, just both the wholesalers and um, and many of the installers, um, and um, so um, not an easy business out there. Um, look, let's have a look at some other news. Look, there's funny things happening in Queensland again. <laughs> we say that every week. <laughs> what? We say that a funny <laughs> thing happened in Queensland. Yeah, well, look, I'm actually in Queensland at the moment. I'm, I'm, I'm just you're, you're amongst trucks. I'm amongst electric trucks, so that's going to be very interesting. Um, but look, Queensland, a couple of years ago, they came out with this proposal that every person that handles a solar panel, including on big solar farms, be a qualified electrician. Yes. Uh, or, you know, at least an apprentice. And the solar industry just went, what the heck are you up to and just pointed out that this would just be incredibly expensive and um, almost impossible to do because there just aren't that many people around yeah. um, but it sounds like that this idea might be be, be reheated by the state government what, what the heck I know well the, I mean that last time it ended up in the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court overruled it um, and everyone was very relieved and I think we had a lot of headlines saying you know silly rule overturned um, yes, because I, I think that the feeling was there's no way we will install the amount of solar we are expected to, 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 you know, first of all, to meet our contracts, but also to, to keep pace with the transition um, if everyone needs to be a qualified electrician. And the argument was that this, you know, lugging panels up onto rooftops and out into fields should be a job that is, is able to be done by, you know, trained labourers, so not just backpackers, but um, I guess sort of the higher tier labourers um, and they can do it fine. And then once the plugging in and the commissioning is what needs to be supervised by the electricians. But obviously they're not uh, quite prepared to let that one go because, yes, they've just announced that they're, well, they've, they've, they're calling for uh, feedback on proposed changes to the Electrical Safety Act. And it seems like, once again, they want only electricians to install panels and they've also added they only want electricians to service EVs, um, which would be interesting. <laughs> well, it would be very interesting. Of course, I mean, servicing EVs does have a highly electrical component, but I would have thought that some retraining of mechanics and things like that. I mean, it's, it's, it, it's, an, extraordinary, it's an extraordinary thing. Um, well, we'll want to see how that actually evolves and be fascinating to see the responses and the submissions and um, people got strong views about that and maybe affected um, should also um, make submissions. On the other hand, they're thinking about sort of revisiting some of their sort of rather archaic rules about um, installations of, of rooftop PV and EVs. Yeah. And, uh, 
Um, so at least that's probably one step in the right direction. Yeah. I mean, absolutely, things are changing. And as you say, you know, cars are so much about their electrics now. I mean, they are electric. So you do need to adjust to these things. But I think where the industry gets a bit miffed is that they feel they make these decisions and then say, what do you think, guys? <laughs> and it's it's all a bit panicky and they need to, you know, like I certainly on the, I know that the feedback we had back in 2019 was that there's no way these big commercial projects where, you know, you're selling tens and hundreds of megawatts on rooftops, you could do that with all qualified electricians. It just couldn't happen. And then you're looking at the huge solar farms. I mean, it'd be impossible. Well, it just seems to be completely back in mad, actually. But um, mm. um, <laughs> that's the that's the way of things. Um, look, anything else to report? I think you've been doing a report as well about the return on investments on solar panels. What can you tell us about that? Yeah, so it's interesting. I had a good chat to um, Stefan Janison from Solar Analytics, um, who just was saying that according to their own customers um, and also a bit of the data from SunWiz. Their estimation, their best estimation is that sort of three out of four rooftop solar systems are not performing as well as they should be as far as, you know, the return on, you know, how much they cut your bill basically um, because of a combination of either you're not on the best uh, retail energy deal to optimise your solar or the system is not working as well as it should or there's some sort of fault. Um, which seems extraordinary to me. So 75%. And it could only be just a little thing that you're not getting as much solar as you should be generating. Um, maybe your panels are dirty. Maybe there's some issue of shading that you didn't realise was there. Um, he said that they've had a few instances where there's one of the DC isolators is malfunctioned, so only half the system has been working. And this is all fine if you have solar monitoring if through a company like that um, because the whole their whole... Um, reason for being is to detect these faults and fix them as quickly as possible and make sure that their clients are getting as much out of their solar panels as they expect. But for a lot of people who don't have monitoring, myself included, um, you may not notice, especially because bills have been so up and down lately, thanks to changing power prices and working from home, not working from home, change of seasons. So it can be really difficult to tell. So we just sort of talked about how do you how do you tell if your solar system isn't performing as it should, um, what the signs are to look out for? And then even if you if everything is working okay and you're, you know, suffering as everyone will be, especially after June from higher bills, how can you make your solar system work better for you in the future? So we talked about the economics of batteries um, and the economics of switching from gas to electric so there's a lot to consider and it's getting sort of more and more complicated and for people like solar analytics they have to factor new things into their um their data all the time and they're kind of evolving they've built up this battery calculator but they're now working on the economics of solar hot water and electric hot water heat pump so it'll be really interesting to see the economics of all these things and to see how much information people can get because it's really important to know whether it's time to get a battery or whether it's time to switch to electric hot water. 
Well, it's all very important stuff because we are being urged to um, switch to electric as part of the sort of electrification process and the next sort of step in in what Australia needs to do to um, reach its emissions. And, um, you know, a nice stat, I think I might have mentioned it before, from Saul Griffith, about that 42% of Australia's emissions re result from decisions made around the kitchen table. Absolutely. Um, and another 20% of uh, emissions are made by decisions made by small business who probably sit around that same kitchen table. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. So and he had an interesting rule of thumb where he said that, you know, it's basically the first thing is put solar on either as much as you can fit or as much as you can afford, depending on which way, you know, you need to go. Uh, then switch to gas, then get a battery and then get no, a no, EV. No, 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 switch, switch from gas, Sophie. Switch, switch from gas, sorry. I'm going insane. Not switch to gas. That would be crazy. I know the APA conference is on in Adelaide. Yeah. <laughs> I've been brainwashed. Um, no. So, yes, then switch from gas to electricity, then battery, then EV, unless you do more than 20,000 kilometres, in which case you should switch to EV first and then the battery. Well, that's interesting. That's interesting. Yeah. Actually, just going back to what you're talking about, the bills and the performance of um, solar systems. Look, I'm lucky enough to have a monitoring device and that sort of detected just recently that two of the, I've got um, microinverters on my um, rooftop system and we discovered that two of them were malfunctioning and so they're getting replaced. Wouldn't, ah. have, known, wouldn't have known otherwise. Wouldn't have known otherwise. But Didn't um, come through on the bill or anything. Well, how would you know from the bill? I mean, we've just actually moved because our, our local energy provider, um, uh, Anova, collapsed um, under the weight of that sort of, you know, all that sort of market yeah. that went on last year. And we got shifted to a big energy provider, which I, who, I, who I won't name. <laughs> shall uh, remain nameless. Shall remain nameless. But apart from that, they pay a pretty pathetic rate on the solar feed-in tariff, as most of them do. And so it's the payment you get is just so small, it's barely noticeable. Um, and um, and how would you know if you weren't um, exporting as, as much? And I've actually been going through the process of trying to find a replacement plan or a replacement retailer, and it is really complicated. I know that mm. you know, sort of said confusion is profit, and it certainly is, because I'm someone who is sort of reasonably familiar with the energy industry and kind of understands some of the sort of the things, and I just sit there and just go, what the? is going on here i have no idea well he said that there's something like twenty-two thousand different deals you can be on if you're somewhere on the nem like i am in melbourne or something you know like if you were to look at every offering from every company because there's multiple from each it's just an extraordinary number of options and how anyone could have the time or energy or understanding to go through all of those and compare is beyond me well, exactly. And the big fear is that whichever one you do is probably going to come up and bite you in the bum anyway. So um, mm. it's a secret sort of thing that you haven't thought of or haven't noticed. But anyway, well, Sophie, look, thank you very much for that very thorough explanation of what's going on out there and also for the great interview with Andy McCarthy. And look, we wish Andy all the best. Um, we do. He's one of the good ones, many of them, but he's one of them. One of the many good ones, but yep. um, yes, one of the very special ones. So um, have a great trip and wish to see you back in the industry. Well, we'll look forward to seeing what the next chapter is. Yes, yeah, so I said he might. He, I have encouraged him to start a travel blog <laughs> of, <laughs> <laughs> and keep us posted, but he didn't 
totally love that idea. Oh, you can't, can't imagine why. I can't imagine why. I might want a holiday anyway. But look, thanks once again. Um, thanks, of course, um, to everybody out there. Thanks to our sponsors. And we'll be back with another episode of the Solar Insiders podcast very shortly. Bye for now. Solar Insiders was brought to you by Pylon. Pylon provides easy-to-use solar design software for installers and retailers with pay-as-you-go pricing, no monthly costs and no locking contracts. Join Australia's top solar companies who trust Pylon to design high-resolution, CEC-ready solar proposals. Solar Insiders is also brought to you by Nextracker, delivering some of the highest-performing solar assets in the country. Like a sunflower follows the sun, Nextracker's market-leading solar solutions deliver optimal return on investment for utility solar farms in Australia. Check out their flagship NX Horizon Smart Solar Tracker, their intelligent optimization software, and the industry's most advanced terrain-following solar tracking technology, NX Horizon XTR.